This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. It's a podcast with the books you've been meaning to read, and he's Andrew. And I'm Andrew. <laughs> and he's Craig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. I wasn't sure how easily I could throw you. That was your first test of this episode. There will be so, several so more. <laughs> really, really easily, I guess is the answer. Yeah, sure. Uh, welcome to our podcast, everyone. Um, what is it? Why don't you what tell me? About? I'm going to talk a lot this episode. You tell me what the okay. podcast is about. Uh, every week, one of us reads a book that we've never read before. Sometimes books recommended to us by our listeners. Sometimes books that we found on our own. And we tell you about it. And we tell the other person about it. And it's a good a good time is had by all. Most of the time. Yeah. That's the goal anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this week, I read Before I Fall. Not Before You Fall. Not Before We Fall. Before I Fall by Lauren Oliver. This was a Patreon recommendation. Thank you to Marta, one of our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash everybodypod, who said, uh, this, and this, I don't want to say the cursed words out loud about the length of this episode, uh, but it is a a brief message that Marta sent us. Uh, Hi, hi, have been listening to you guys for a few, for a few while now. What? That's, nope. She said a few few weeks. Oh, a few, few weeks, weeks now. Okay. This is this is a little older than that. And I'm so very delighted. I just became a patron and was hoping to suggest a book. Before I Fall by Lauren Oliver. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I do. So not a lot of information from our recommender. Yeah. Coming I mean the in. recommendation, I guess, is is enough by itself. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sometimes yeah. they give us a little bit of insight as to why they like it and why they think we will. But But you know, without that is also fine. <laughs> only a few times have our patrons like inflicted a book upon us, and it's this has gone great for us. No, so and this I'm... is not one of those. Um, but it was. I remember seeing the recommendation coming in, and I had seen trailers for the 2017 like adaptation film, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, that's a book. Okay, I'll end up reading that for the show at some point." And lo and behold, here we are. I've read. Yeah, that so that movie I was just reading briefly about it. This is this is just like a fun fun fact, sad fact. Yeah. It made like 18 million dollars or something, which compared to the amount it took to make, like 5 million dollars was pretty good. Yep. But then they spent 20 million dollars marketing it. So good job marketing department. <laughs> Those I feel like that happens more often than I'm like prepared for like i feel like i read that story perfectly perfectly decent reviews like not not groundbreaking like effusive but perfectly fine yes and it just didn't perform that well it did go up against logan which feels like a (laughs) like to literally have to fight wolverine as a movie feels unfair it was so i'm gonna blame it on that yeah in that in, it was released in january which is like a real like everyone already went and saw whatever the star wars was that year and like people aren't going to the movies you know well it's typically i think january like historically january has been kind of a dumping ground yeah uh, i don't want to mischaracterize this movie one no, way no, or, no, no. Or, or the other but like if you're trying to get your tent poles in that happens in the summer if you're trying to get your oscar bait in you do it on like december 22nd yes but if you just have a movie that you have and you want to put it out there but you don't expect it to do great you put it out in january usually yes um and all i remember from that film is that there was a girl in a car crash and so it is worth saying i you know close to the top of this episode that this is a book that deals with serious teen issues um involving like everything from death and specifically suicide attempts and uh you know 
I don't know that I'm going to get into it in our conversation today, but in the book, there's like discussion of eating disorders and it's, and a lot of discussion of bullying. So like there are, you know, if any of that is like not what you're up for, this might not be the book for you. Um, I mean, so are they, but are they like Groundhog Day, hilarious suicide attempts that you set to funny music to show how you're supposed to be laughing at it. They aren't, and I've forgotten how goofy Groundhog's Day is with that That, very serious material. That sequence is messed up, man. That was supposed to be a way darker movie. Perhaps more like this book. It's pretty dark anyway. It's only... It is still plenty dark by, like, implication. Yeah, that's very true. Um, They funnied it up in, like, editing and in how they presented some of it, but yes. Andrew brought up Groundhog Day because if folks don't know, this is a time loop story um, about a young girl who dies and then lives the day of her, the day that she is supposed to die, like, seven times after that. or Just seven seven, times. Seven times total, I guess. Um and Groundhog Day is in the fiction of this book. She mentions it. So, you know, Groundhog's all the way down is what I'm saying. I do I do want more genre fiction where other genre fiction exists in the in the book. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I don't want to go right to the zombie example where like 90% <laughs> of people in zombie fiction don't seem to know what Never zombie heard fiction of is. But yeah. yeah. Um, we should talk about Lauren Oliver real quick before we get yeah, into the it. book itself. What do you got, Andrew? Uh, I know she was born Lauren Suzanne Schechter in 1982. She's an author of YA novels, including, uh, I write, the seemingly obligatory dystopian trilogy. (laughs) (laughs) Which I had a hard time finding articles about this book because there are so many interviews with her about these Delirium novels that I... Yeah, the the trilogy is called Delirium, so there are three main novels and then a bunch of little novellas about individual characters. and then uh, the other book she's known best for is this one, Before I Fall, which was published in 2010, and it was her first novel. Um, uh, she's also published a few other like standalone YA novels, one like adult for grownups, not adult, like adult fiction. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like for one parents. adult novel. Um, but not like for mommies and daddies. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you got to be really careful about. Uh, and also children's books. Um, sure. She uh, went to college. For, well, she went to NYU to uh, to learn more about writing and worked briefly at Penguin Books before leaving in 2009 to pursue writing full time. She's been doing that since then. Um, she says of writing this book um, and of writing in, like writing in particular uh, for years, I've tried to imagine what a perfect day and a perfect moment would look like. I also have a habit of kind of obsessively reimagining the best moments of my life, particularly when I'm stressed out or unhappy. And that is the exact opposite of what I do, where I imagine something embarrassing I did when I was 12 and I get embarrassed about it all over again. <laughs> yeah, I was reading this book. This book does a lot of that, like when you're 18 and you're remembering something that happened to you when you were 10 and then that is a human impulse that of course Oliver's and and you're talking about happening later just the other day because I was reading this book I was thinking about the time that on a bus when a girl made me feel bad about myself just like because I was me and it was just like a weird moment and yeah. I don't really know anything about what was said, except I was sad on a bus. And who hasn't ever been sad on a bus? But like, I have very strong sense memories to that bus ride. I could tell you what oh, street yeah. I was on. What I've been plenty thing. sad on plenty of buses. I mean, this the bus is where they start calling me goosebumps. <laughs> oh yeah, and it was not a it was not a term of endearment. No, no. Um, she also said, and this this I thought was lacked a certain self-awareness. Uh, I started writing as a way of extending my love of reading. When I read a book I loved, I would continue to write sequels for it. I was inadvertently a fanfic writer before fanfiction was even a term. I, I saw that. So mm. fanfiction wa- was <laughs> in use as a term as late as the 19, or, or as early as the ni- late 1930s. And um, as with slash fic, it can be, its current form uh, can be traced back to 60s star trek fandom i really appreciate the um actually energy you're bringing to this i'm not trying to be like a reply guy about it i'm just saying i i think anybody who is deeply involved in the fan fiction oh sure would and i am not but i know people who are and they feel very strongly about it i just want to correct the record 
Yes. I won't put that out there and then get the tweets like, we got it wrong. No. She got it wrong, and I knew better. <laughs> I do think that that is also a, 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 many of us fall prey to the, I'm a trailblazer, aren't I? Just energy. <laughs> um, I just assume nothing I've done has ever not been done by somebody else. Um, and this is like, this is an interesting book for that too, because it is not, I would not say it is trailblazing. Um, we talked about this a little bit with children of blood and bone and like, this might be someone's first experience with like a time loop story that happens to be about a teen and I'm a teen reading it. Like, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I think that's way more you're more like way more likely to be somebody's first thing if you're a YA book than yeah. you are to be like the first thing to do this. So I think that's that is interesting. I think people have strong reactions to specific like otherwise not particularly groundbreaking books because they came to them first. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um and so this book what else do I I did have a note that uh when you mentioned her 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 degree from NYU, I did see an interview where there was a typo where it said she got an MMA from NYU. Ooh, mixed martial arts. Which I didn't know NYU made, was doing that. And typos make me chuckle. Shout out to everybody trying to squash typos everywhere because they get in there even when you're paying attention. Yeah. Um, and there was an un... I saw a citations needed part of her Wikipedia that said that she wrote most of this book on her BlackBerry while going between meetings and then like we're emailing like chapter drafts to herself to work on later. And I'm not quite sure why that detail is out there in the world. And it's not, you can't, I wasn't able to substantiate it, but I guess it does. If that's true, it speaks to the like immediate informal language that I think makes this book a real, for some folks, a mixed bag. Someone commented on our, even our schedule post being like, I couldn't really get down with the voice of that novel. I felt like I was reading a teenager's diary and like it mm -hmm. turned me off. And I do think that will maybe prevent some people from getting into this one. And it's like, fine, I'll have more to say about it after we get through like what actually happens in the book. But yeah, as far as, um, yeah, three star, three star good reviews. Um, people tended to enjoy the writing style. Mm. Um, they found the, and this is, I'm curious to hear what you think about this because it does seem like it's intentionally this way, but there were a lot of complaints about it being repetitive. <laughs> um, but the main, the main complaints, I guess, were like Sam, the main character, even as she learns the sort of lessons that you learn in a Groundhog Day scenario where you get a chance to evaluate everything that is wrong with your life from a lot of different angles. <laughs> they still just didn't find her to be a super sympathetic character and thought the same thing of, of many of her friends. Some of this is probably just like high school people are when, in, when you're in high school often, not always, but often you are the worst version of yourself. And so that might just be coming through in some of these teens, but yeah, things to things to think about as we talk about the book. Yeah. I, I think the, there's a there's both a form and a content uh, thing about it being a teenager's diary vibe that might turn people off. And one is like, oh, I don't like this voice. It's it's like I don't want to like listen to this type of speech. And then there's another like, I just don't want to be in the head of this teen right now. Get me out. Please take the teen away. Right. <laughs> like, I don't like this teen. Make her go away, which this book and, and some of the positive reviews I did see of this book were like, interesting that it really m made our main character kind of crappy like they are ba bad people for long stretches of this book and that is i feel like that is that i mean that's groundhog day to a t right like he sucks yeah he's <laughs> a bad man person. is a bad man um and he does the only not person in that movie who is possibly worse at the beginning of it is chris elliott oh he sucks too Andy McDowell's great in that movie, though. Andy McDowell's Very charming. great, just period. Yeah, that's true. Um, um, nothing, nothing, nothing bad to say about her. Yeah, Chris Elliott's got a long career of being the hardest thing to watch in whatever project he's participating. He's in. really tough in There's Something About Mary. <laughs> really tough in that movie. Not interested. 
Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk about this book. Sorry. <laughs> apologies to Chris Elliott. You just you just came up. We are modeling teen bullying behavior right now, and we should we by the end of this episode we will atone. Um, so the book opens with an all italics like prologue that is like uh, the main character Samantha Kingston, who often goes by Sam. She is talking directly to the reader. A couple times in the book, she refers to the reader in like plural, like some of you out there, and it's mm-hmm. really unclear like what the audience's relationship to her is but whatever loosey-goosey i don't care um and she's like hey just before you die a lot of people say your life flashes before your eyes and she's like not me like a moment did and it's a moment from fourth grade where her best friend Lindsay was calling another girl in gym class like fat and then made her like cry and upset about it and then when they were in high school they were friends with this girl and they reminisced about that moment and the girl laughed so hard that she made the same face she made when she was sad in fourth grade and sam's like this is a weird thing for me to think about while i'm in a car crash (laughs) and like she this is where you also get the the description of like the literal events of the moments right before it where it's like uh, her friend Lindsay is driving. They've been to a party, so they're inebriated. Uh, the girls in the the two girls in the back seat, uh, Allie and Elodie, are you know making a ruckus and kind of getting in each other's no- nerves. Is Elodie short for Melody? No, E L O D Y. Um, couple hmm. of different origins. I I don't. I saw like one French origin i'm not sure i don't think just it's, checking just checking to make sure it's not like apostrophe elodie it is not my my notes kept correcting it and i had to tell my notes out to stop. <laughs> okay um and uh some cigarette ashes get on Lindsay's seat she gets distracted there's bad weather in the in the winter something white flashes on the road and then they are in a crash and then that's that's it um okay. and uh, Sam says to the reader, hey, this is how, you know, my the day that I died happened. And then you get into chapter one, which is day one. And so there are seven chapters in the book. Each one is another version of this day. And the f- first chapter is like, I guess, the canonical one. If you think about like video games where things happen like a clock where like all the npcs are going between their different motions sure like, like a majora's that. mask vibe yeah or like you know early skyrim and fallout stuff or that one arc of the adventure zone where it's just like the same thing over and over you can always count on people to be certain places which is like high school to be perfectly honest and i think that does work <laughs> uh-huh. um this is where uh she lays out it it is both doing exposition for just the world she's in and it is also like oh you the reader need to know all the events of this day so that in the next six chapters when i try to either change them or make them happen again um it like pays off that so wait chapter chapter one is a flashback from the prologue or chapter one is that's a weird dream. The, the typical like loop time loop thing where the first loop is like, wow, that's it's weird that all this is happening at the same time. Uh, no, t- t- the chapter one is a flashback from the prologue. If, if you were okay. to do it sequentially, I think the prologue probably happens between chapters one and two. Okay. Um, so the first main difference between this and something like, I think Groundhog's Day, and maybe I'm misremembering a little bit that film, but... Um, it's, How could you? It's happening... In a very year on the TBS, you (laughs) got to watch Groundhog Day. It's happening in a very familiar place, in a very um, well-worn like life and routine. So it's not, oh, I'm figuring out the things that are happening in this place I'm stuck in that I'd like to leave. It is more, oh, I'm in this school and here are all the people I know and this is my schedule and this is the hot but maybe a little like suspicious math teacher and there's the like nerdy kid kent who draws cartoons for the school paper and i used to i was friends with him in elementary school but now he's a nerd and i don't like it's it goes through that kind of stuff in a way that in the later sections it isn't about how do i get out of here it's about like how do i interact with this space i know well um and should be able to change but like the loop isn't letting me um Mm -hmm. 
So, because I, I think there are the, the the big thing about Groundhog Day is like he does not want to be there, and he really like the universe won't let him leave physically mm-hmm. or leave the loop. Sure. Um, of course, she doesn't know again in chapter one like that she's going to die and get stuck here six more times but Mm -hmm. whoops um so she is part of a four girl like popular girl clique that is mean girls yeah it's kind of mean girlsy um this is written what it was published i don't mean to imply that any group of no high school girls is is a i believe it's a clique of mean girls yes like a murder of gross (laughs) (laughs) it it feels like it maps pretty cleanly to other media examples of quote unquote stereotypical mean girls. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, Sam is sort of the number two. Her best friend, Lindsay is like the queen bee. Um, she's always literally driving the car that they take to school every day. I never got to drive to like I took the bus or my mom drove me to school. I got to drive to school. Did you like get- I got to, I got to put, the music in the disc man that was connected to that cassette tape thing that was in my car and my brother and sister were not fans of the pixies i'll tell you that so you had to take your younger siblings to their school i did yes i mean it was it was the same like group of buildings but yes okay because these girls have a thing where it's like uh, Lindsay always pulls up to Sam's house. She has Sam's favorite bagel in the car and some coffee for her. And then they go pick up Elodie and then they go pick up Allie and they all have to get to the senior parking lot. And if they don't get there in time and there aren't enough spots, they have to walk 0.22 miles to get to class. And it's like a little thing that they say because they're girls that hang out all the time and they have catchphrases. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lindsay is like the very confident but very like mean girl popular like picks who they pick on kind of character um and an arc of the book is uncovering some of the people that she was friends with when she was younger that she really just was like i'm gonna cut these people out because my life is like spiraling out of control and i'm gonna take a stand and become a popular mean girl to like make sense of things Mm -hmm. um elodie is like probably the nicest one of the four but she has the strongest drinking problem of the four. Huh. The book doesn't really like dwell on that too much, except that in one of the days, Elodie meets a tragic fate. Um, Allie stinks. She's mean and usually leads a lot of the meaner things, but she's also like the one who'll say something kind of out of left field and they'll all laugh at her because she's kind of like a little bizarre. Um, she's also the richest one. All these kids are pretty uh, affluent. Uh, affluent, yes. It is. It takes place in a you know fictional town, I think, in Connecticut, outside of New York City. Um, and I think Oliver has said she kind of based it a little bit on her experience growing up in Westchester, New York. Uh, yeah, just the name Westchester, New York, makes it sound like you need to have a little bit of money to grow yeah. up. Yeah, I know statistically that can't be totally true, but <laughs> and there are like there's some economic diversity in the school populace, but it is certainly like the kids then establish a hierarchy. I think it's pretty white. It is not really competent on that much, which seems to like default to a very white perspective. Um, and in some ways it did like still though remind me of my high school which was pretty similar in makeup and had a like a people coming from a a pretty disparate part parts of town excuse me but like there were some rich kids who like had money and Yeah there were there was a I think overall just as a rural high school we were poorer as a group but yeah there was there was some economic diversity even if there was zero any other kind of diversity (laughs) yeah yeah um and what makes sam interesting even though i don't think it makes her likable this seems like a conscious choice on oliver's part because she's not the queen bee um she often like tries to not take responsibility for the for some of their bullying and some of their meanness by saying like well i didn't start it Right, like I, it wasn't my idea to be mean to you. Like Lindsay decided to be mean to you, so she's potentially the kind of girl who will get to be like twenty six and feel really awful about all the stuff she did in high school. Yeah, except that she does die 
at the beginning. Well, yeah, yeah. I, yes. I'm just I'm trying to map it to types of people yeah. who I sure knew or was in high school. Uh, she also is someone who wasn't like quote unquote cool until like seventh or eighth grade. So there is this like underneath her cool popular girl mentality there is a little bit of like oh but my boyfriend who i'm who on this night friday february 12th cupid day uh they are where everybody gets each other roses and it's a big freaking deal um he is gonna they are gonna have sex tonight and she has never had sex before Mm-hmm. And he's kind of been pressuring her in a way that doesn't mm-hmm. that he doesn't think is is douchey, but sort of is. And by the end mm-hmm. of the book, she learns it is. Um, and she has and like she has a memory of him in sixth grade telling her that she was never she was never going to be cool enough to date him or something. And so she has this like she becomes an audience cipher a little bit there because she is not the meanest most popular one and she can trace herself back to a version of herself that was not that way okay um, so even when you're like yo you stink girl um she is <laughs> she is a little bit like yeah but i didn't always stink <laughs> um and it, i so, remember what it was like to not stink correct and i could one day get back to that again correct um so we're going through the day they're giving each other roses her boyfriend rob only sends her one that just says love ya l-u-v-y-a and she's like come on you stink uh (laughs) and they they do the girls send a mean rose to the girl that they all refer to as a freak juliet sykes um and it says, like, maybe you'll get one next year. And she's, like, strange and doesn't really have any friends. Uh, you find out later in the book that she used to be friends with Lindsay for a period of time when they were in middle school. And, like, that's a whole big deal that we'll talk about. Um, there's the kid, Kent, who I said earlier works at the newspaper. He sends Sam a rose with, like, a weird cartoon on it that's, like, very, like, why are you paying attention? He's carrying a torch for her. And she mm-hmm. is always mean to him, even though they used to be friends when they were when elementary school. I've said that a lot. That is a theme throughout the book is the like we were different people before we became like crappy teens. The like, oh, we when things were like on the playground and we just were like little kids, stuff was simpler. We didn't have all of these weird pressures to act certain ways to each other. Um and friendship in school is can be so arbitrary. Like mm-hmm. it is who and who you don't meet. Right? Like if you don't meet someone in that one class, like you will never end up being their friend because like you just didn't ever see them. Um, and there are plenty of people you become friends with just because like they were around when a thing happened. Um, and that is like this book drives that home a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Andrew, have you ever sent anyone? a valentine in grade school that you can think of boy not like a because i've got serious one i feel like because there's one from a kid in this book that i think like you would at least appreciate whether or not you would send it because there's like i feel like this isn't in all classes but i feel like a lot of classes did like the obligatory valentine so nobody feels bad sort of thing and i think that was the main form of valentine that i ever received i think while i was doing that in elementary school we were not doing it by high school and this becomes like a in the book it's presented as like who gets the most roses by the end of the day kind of thing Mm -hmm. um Allie gets one from a guy named matt wild who said uh roses are red violets are blue if i get you in bed it would be really cool oh no and they're like it doesn't even rhyme matt wild you suck um so we the the main event of cupid day this year is that the nerd boy kent his parents are out of town he has a big house in the woods and he's throwing a rager he's throwing a raging party and all the kids in school are going to go to you know a big freaking party in the woods in february like you do Mm -hmm. i guess sure and so everyone's kind of making their plans to go to this party um 
there's like another side plot where Sam and Lindsay cut class to go to the country's best yogurt. They refuse to call it TCBY. They keep calling it the country's best yogurt. Well, that's the that's its real name, Craig. Okay. It is. You would fit right in with these girls. <laughs> that's the real name. It's true. Uh and they like they see some other couple on the way and it's like some kid is cheating on another girl and um they use that a couple of times throughout the loop but the main thing is they go to this party people get drunk and the girls are there rob stinks and they're clearly not gonna have sex because he got too drunk doing keg stands um and the girl Juliet sykes comes into the party and she's the one they sent the mean message to she calls all the girls bitches like to their face and then the girls flip out and start shoving her and pouring booze all over her and like chase her out of the house it's very traumatic actually Mm -hmm. um and then they run out of the party they get in the car and then while they're driving home is when the accident happens that's day one cool yeah day two is like the deja vu day where she wakes up and she's like, wait, same day? Like she wakes up thinking, oh, I guess that was a bad dream. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. It's deja vu. I've mm-hmm. never, I don't know if I've ever had deja vu. I've certainly had it, but not in a way that I could like tell you about what I was having deja vu about. I just think about that black cat in the Matrix. That's all I think about. Yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not helpful. Um, but so she is going through day two. With, like, all of the same big events are happening. She's, like, kind of surprised that it's the same day the whole time. Um, And she goes to the party. The same stuff happens. The same crash happens. Oh, no. So, day three is, like, she's... So, is day two just, like, we got to establish this time thing, everybody? Yes. Or is she actually, like, having meaningfully different insights on on anything? She, She isn't, though... Uh, Oliver uses it as a chance to like continually flesh out some of the side characters like oh, okay along the way um, Sam will like muse on someone that she is talking to uh, like a thing that happened seven years ago or whatever 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 about some jerk um, and this day two is where you get like a lot of that because like oh I'm seeing in this person in a slightly different context let me reminisce about this thing Mm-hmm. Um, but day three is when she's like, listen, this day is weird. I got to start. I got to start changing things to get out of this loop. I got to not mm-hmm. die today. Maybe at this point, she's like, oh, this is a Groundhog Day situation. She does. She's like, this is literally like the movie Groundhog Day. How do I get out of this? <laughs> um, she goes to school late. Uh, I think she catches some teachers like having sex with and then like gets out of gets out of being in trouble for being late or something by like telling them that she's going to rat them out or something um and then she does she convinces all the girls to not go to the party she's like i don't want to be with rob i don't want to have this night where i lose my virginity i'm not really feeling this relationship can we please just have a classic girl sleepover uh, and party down, watch some movies, and then just like hang out. And, and like, then, like, what when she goes to get the pizza, like a box of <laughs> a stack of pizza boxes falls on her or no, something? No. Uh, what does happen is they all hang out, and then in the middle of the night, uh, her one of the girls' moms comes downstairs. I think it's Allie's mom, maybe comes down or Lindsay, Lindsay's mom comes downstairs. And is like, oh, I just got this terrible phone call. That girl, Juliet, that you go to school with just took her own life. And they're like, what? And they all have a big fight because they're like, we feel responsible. We bullied her. We were very mean to her. Lindsay is taking it very strangely and is like how you can't be mean to someone forever and then feel bad when they die. Like, Uh I'm just going to be a jerk about it forever um and this is where sam does some like digging through some yearbooks and was like hey you two were friends 
when you were little what's that about and like files yeah. that away and she's carrying mm-hmm. obviously carrying knowledge through each of these days and that is another like hallmark of this type of story where she is having conversations with people and like trying not to say the things that she knows or when to drop things that she does know um to like change people's behavior she's not there's like limited butterfly effect discuss i don't know if the movie the butterfly effect is canon in this book the one with ashton kutcher yeah no i know the butterfly effect i okay i want to make sure that you are familiar with the film i'm familiar with it um but they do talk about the butterfly effect a little bit (laughs) um and that day ends with her just going to sleep and of course she wakes up and it's the same day again so she's mm-hmm. it doesn't it isn't contingent on her dying but it does so she's kind of confused as to what she has to do to get out of it so, okay, day, so now we're thinking like this is some kind of capricious god trying to get me to change my ways and i need to figure out what to do yeah like she has to do some introspection that really comes on day five day four is the like i hate this day day four she goes full like wrestling heel like dresses up in a way that makes her parents mad like super skimpy clothes that like i think she's wearing a necklace that says slut on it like she's just going for it (laughs) why would okay yeah you know i don't know um, just, why would that be something that you would have around <laughs> if it would be so out of character for you to wear it? But I guess I, you know, we all contain multitudes. Yes. Um, she gets in the car with her friends and they're pissing her off because of the previous night where, you know, Lindsay was really mean about Juliet dying. And so she just yells at all of her friends and is really mean to them. They kick her out and she has to walk to school. So now she doesn't have friends all day. Um, she hooks up with her math teacher in a way that's very gross um and she like she flirts with him and then he initiates and it's very bad and she like immediately is like that's not what should have happened bad uh so that's creepy and awful uh later in the book she she does like call him out on being a pervert and mm-hmm. that i guess works out i'm not sure um okay. but she is like making every bad choice that she can make on purpose because she is so disillusioned with the loop. Like, I think that is a trope of loop stories also. Um, the the nihilism. Yeah. Like, because I think first that can be tinged with a sort of madcap, like... What can I get away with? I Yeah, like playground yeah. sort of thing. And then it, some, it gives away, it gives away later to a more like, well, if nothing I do matters, then nothing I do matters. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. Um, She does have a heart-to-heart with one of the girls that Lindsay is regularly mean to in the, like, in the abandoned bathroom that no one uses where she smokes, like, cigarettes and weed sometimes at lunch. (laughs) Okay. Um, And there's a very symbolic exchanging of shoes that they wear for the remainder of the day. I don't know if you can tell me what that means, Andrew, but... Think about Exchanging it. Changing of shoes, like they they spend the rest of the day walking in each other's shoes. Oh, okay, is this like a sisterhood of traveling pants? It's definitely like that. Yeah. Okay. It's just like walking. We can only understand culture through references to other culture. That's of true. Course. That's that's how culture works. Um, and she goes she goes to the party with that same nihilism though. Is like, oh, what if I had sex with Rob tonight? Even though I've really not been excited about you know this whole arrangement with him. Um, it doesn't happen though. He like is too drunk and passes out. Uh, and then she kind of just loses, like kind of just loses it after that. And the guy Kent, who's thrown the party, the nerd dude, who's always loved her. He like takes care of her that night. We don't really hear much about the Juliet plot of that loop. And she falls asleep at Kent's house, just like being taken care of. And she's like, Oh, maybe Kent's a good guy. Maybe Mm -hmm. I like him. She's starting to Mm -hmm. change. Day five is the, like, lead a nice life day. The, like, (laughs) what if I just, like, savored every good thing in my life and maybe that will get me out of here? She's like, oh, making all the bad choices made the worst day. So what if I make choices that just make me happy instead? Okay. And she, instead of, like, 
being a popular girl, she she completely uh, skips school entirely. She you know makes up a, a white lie to her mom that brought that her and Rob broke up, and she's like, "Mom, can I stay home? Can I hang out with my little sister all day?" Um, and they do that. It's very sweet. Her parents have a like parents from Calvin and Hobbes vibe. That's like <laughs> they're they're very not present throughout the book, and that's reflective of her relationship with them. But they just like they love her, and they kind of wish that she was around more. And she has fond memories of them before she became a cool teen uh, and parties all the time. So like the day is a lot of like oh let's, hey let's go to that restaurant we always used to go to on Fridays can we get ice cream like we used to like a lot of that stuff, um, but while they're there, it's something like she runs into Juliet's sister at the restaurant and is like hey can you tell Juliet not to do it, and her sister's like what the heck do you mean she's like I don't know it's like a science project just tell her not to do it, um. And her sister's like, I don't, I'll, I probably won't be able to talk to her until tomorrow. Um, and so it, it ends up she goes to Juliet's house to like try and at this point it actually reminded me. Remember when I read that Stephen King book uh, about the guy trying to stop Kennedy from getting killed? Yeah, eleven twenty two sixty three. Yeah, it reminded me of that in the sense that like she's now trying to correct a wrong that is like potentially supposed like the universe might want this to happen and she is trying to do everything she can to stop it. Um, She, she kind of turns on that as maybe she'll get out of this loop if she can spare Juliet's life. Um, So this, this gets into another criticism of her as a, as a character that I read on the three star Goodreads reviews is that even when she is doing selfless things she is thinking too much about how it might get her out of her own bad situation I mean, so it's like being done for the wrong reasons i mean let's theory. have a philosophical conversation about altruism i guess no i mean I, you, <laughs> no i'm being i'm being a little glib i but understand like the, what you're th- saying. the thing with groundhog day is like <laughs> i it begins with like bill murray just wanting to like min max his one day yes. on earth like uh-huh. just wanting to do a hundred percent run on the yeah sure. on the one day that he has but he to the extent that anything is happening to him for any specific reason he like quote wins or like gets out because he is not thinking about getting out anymore like he's just like doing it yes for the sake of of doing it and yeah. I think that's why that movie works like that's that's why a seven day time scale feels well, and what's kind of short for this kind of like revelation to me, but I guess if this was happening to me, like I would be, I would be rethinking some things in a pretty big way, like pretty fast. I yeah. Guess. And I do think the book succeeds at that in the sense that like every day she wakes up, the, the thing about the loop is that it is the, the initial loop is predicated on a very traumatic, her own very traumatic death. So, like, mm-hmm. every day is, like, what could I possibly do to avoid that, please? Or to, like, not have to keep experiencing it. There is, a like, a, a very small reference to Dante and purgatory and stuff because, of course, she takes high school English class. And so, like, Oliver <laughs> can sneak that in. Um, and so I think sh- there is, like, though she doesn't really express it super well, I think there's a sense of, like, what can I do to stop experiencing this day because it is it is torturous to me uh, and very traumatic. Whereas, like, I think the Groundhog Day thing doesn't have a doesn't have to end terribly. No, and she learns that this doesn't have to either. Of course, um, but yeah, she does center in on Juliet as this like reclamation project for her. I did see a review. I read the Common Sense Media review for this book, which is that okay. website that's like, "Hey, can your kids read this stuff?" And like, no, looks, I know that one. Um, yeah, our friend uh, Catherine did a really good piece on that site for Vulture. Yes, com. Yes, Catherine you should look up. Just Google Catherine Van Arendonk Common Sense Media. You'll find it. it's a great piece. Um, and one of the it like spoke highly of some of the like oh i was a bad kid and a bad girl and like mean to these people and i'm kind of learning about it 
um, even if it's a little ham-fisted, it did say like, hey, there's seniors and maybe would have learned about the consequences of their actions by now. <laughs> like maybe it didn't. It is obviously it's a very extreme example the way that this book sets it up for her to be learning these lessons. Um, perhaps she should have learned them by now. But, you know, different different speeds for different people. I, I mean, suppose. if we have to learn everything about the about reaping what we sow at age 18, then I don't think any of us are going to succeed. That's true. That's true. And I do think like thematically the so so when we have longer scenes with Juliet and the, and these are some of the scenes that I think are like the most striking in the novel because we don't spend a lot of time with her and her story is very tragic. There's her there's like allusions to but non-specific troubles in her family that have clearly made life very difficult for her um which I think is a little it, it is purposefully and positively muddier than, oh, Lindsay was mean to her in middle school and now she's a troubled teen. Like, I, I do think that Oliver uh, does that a little bit better, okay. uh, does right by Juliet in that way. I was reading a little bit about um, that book and TV show, 13 Reasons Why, and there were critiques of, in the first two seasons in particular, of the portrayal of suicide on that show as being, like, specifically tied to, like, an event, a discrete event with, like, no conversation about mental health. And this book at least, like, presents that it is it is not just one thing that happened to her um, that, like, if only this event then yada 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 um, right sure which is which is surprising given the way that this book handles like the concrete events of a day over you know seven loops um but the conversations with juliet which are like really rough uh sam like sends her a bunch of roses on one of the loops and like from a secret admirer as if that's gonna make her feel better as if Juliet's like an idiot and wouldn't be like, oh, these are from the mean girls who are mean to me all the time. Like, why wouldn't they just be mean to me this way? And that really, to to some of the criticisms from those reviews, I think probably stem from this, um, where Sam just doesn't understand how she can affect people, which is a very teen thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but she thinks that like oh just being nice after being crappy to someone for a really long time will like magically fix something so that's where like the one day time scale actually teaches her what she can and can't change um, sure what do, what do i think is interesting um so like day five doesn't go well because the the plan to be nice backfires she does learn a little bit more that she has feelings for Kent. Um, and we get more of the backstory with with Lindsay and Juliet. And, and Lindsay's a little bit more complicated than you thought, but she's always mm-hmm. putting her problems on other people. And by the end of the novel, Sam is like, I think Lindsay will become a better person, but it's going to take work. Sure. Um, and the seventh day, the last day after... Um, Stuff with Kent has worked out after Rob has been cast aside. Uh, Sam kind of just spends a day being really nice to people, um, kind of calling people out where they need to be called out and uh, does try to stop Juliet one more time. It doesn't work. And ultimately, like, well, it almost doesn't work. She ends up uh, sacrificing herself um, because what the way that Juliet actually and regularly takes her life in the, in the loops is by jumping in front of Lindsay's car. And so mm-hmm. like that crash from the beginning of the book is um, them hitting Juliet uh, after they have like terrorized her from the party. And so what Sam ends up doing is kind of breaking that loop and, and saving Juliet's life. And that is the end of the book. Okay. Um, and it's, it is like I th- that is an interesting critique that I hadn't thought about of the like, yeah, she was becoming a better person, but it was so that she could get out of this hell loop. And like, what are what's the morality there? And like, what are the ethics of being a good person so that you can get out of being stuck in time? Um, 
I don't know. I don't have an easy answer there. Uh, it didn't strike me while I was reading it, though. Sure. Yeah. Um. So it it deals with kind of that, and and certainly in the last chapter, it has that like. I don't know how familiar you you are with the play Our Town, Andrew, but there's a lot of stories like this. I know this. there's a guy who like talks the whole time. Yeah, he's the stage manager. Uh-huh. Uh, the third act of that play is a very, like Emily Webb gets sent back in time to an ordinary day in her life. And she, it's, it's very much like, oh my God, all the people that I take for granted. Oh, the life that I've been like dissatisfied with or thinking should be bigger or these people that I thought were boring like oh now that I'm finally saying goodbye to them like they mean something to me and that is just like it it's very it has happened for in stories for a long 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 time um it happens in this book and it doesn't feel particularly novel it feels specific to this character I guess um the the writing. Let me pivot, because that's sure that, we can. Yeah, we can. That's kind of taken us out. I think. Yeah. Um, I by my notes say the writing is fine. A real mixed bag. <laughs> um, what do you? So what do you mean by fine? Like the voice of it is a is like sometimes it's awkward, and I feel like it's a little. It is interesting to to read that this was her first novel and she is trying to capture a teen's voice, which inherently might have some like clunkier language or some more blunt observations that just feel awkward on the page. So something as simple as like they're going over to Allie's house to like have a sleepover or she's reminiscing about earlier sleepovers and she says we'd stretch out on her enormous couch and watch movies until we fell asleep. Hyphen, the TV in Allie's room is as big as the screen in a movie theater. Our legs tangled together under an enormous fleece. And I highlighted that is as big as the screen in a movie theater. It just like I could feel like there was a something in the wheel of the car, like kathunkin in there. <laughs> I mean, would you say as big as a movie screen or I don't know what I would say. It's, it's, it's just like, like I'm at the movies or just like some other it just, way of expressing that sentiment it, that is less like. I'm clinical. It felt, yeah, it felt oddly, maybe that's what, it felt oddly clinical. Um, There's another, like, Lindsay makes a, like, a a reference to, she, like, casually jokes, like, the sun will come out tomorrow, like, sings a line from Annie or something, and then there's a paragraph where Sam to the reader is like, she didn't know that when I was a kid, I loved Annie, and I used to sing it all the time, and I was obsessed with it, and I don't know if I'll ever see tomorrow, it's weird, I'm in a time loop. And it's just like, okay, deploy Annie, the musical Annie here. Like, it just felt a little, there's like stuff that feels trite, which is unfortunate because I think there is like merit in some of the issues the book is discussing. Um, And then there's stuff that is like kind of ballsy. Uh, The end of the first chapter, before you know about all of the Juliet stuff, like really, and about all of the bullying um and that Juliet is the one that died uh ju- right after the crash there's this monologue from Sam where she goes I know some of you are thinking maybe I deserved it maybe I shouldn't have sent that rose to Juliet or dumped my drink on her at the party maybe I should have copied off maybe I shouldn't have copied off Lauren Lornett's quiz maybe I shouldn't have said those things to Kent there are probably some of you who think I deserved it because I was gonna let Rob go all the way because I wasn't gonna save myself but before you start pointing fingers let me ask you is it what is what I did really so bad? So bad I deserve to die? So bad I deserve to die like that? Is that is what I did really so much worse than what anybody does? Is it really so much worse than what you do? And I was like, dang, book. <laughs> like back off of it. <laughs> like you're coming what at I me. Say, I didn't even say anything. <laughs> this is the first chapter. I'm just trying to read the book. Sam, come on. Um, I think that says more about how Sam is feeling than about anything that you, the reader, <laughs> yes. might be thinking. And and that is like also the passage for me that is the uh, the best example when people are like, "Man, this protagonist is unlikable." Like that that paragraph is like, "Yes," and that's on purpose. She she is actively hostile to your judgments of her for several chapters, <laughs> and she does not have any introspection because it's easier that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, there was a moment and I don't, I'm going to read this. I don't know that the language is amazing or anything, but it did, 
get me thinking. Um, this is later in the book when she's starting to have her, this is towards the end when she's like, oh, I'm going to have to like get out of this loop and like not see any of this stuff again. I'm going to have to go to the other side. Um, and she's talking about a movie that they'd seen where someone, some character was like, hey, the saddest thing about having sex for the last time is that you don't know it's the last time you're going to have sex. And that which sad and she, yeah and she says and she says since i've never had a first time i'm not exactly an expert but i'm guessing it's like that for most things in life the last kiss the last laugh the last cup of coffee the last sunset the last time you jump through a sprinkler or eat an ice cream cone or stick your tongue out to catch a snowflake you just don't know and i read that and i was like huh like i i was like not prepared for a bit of a thinker to just kind of stop me in this book mm-hmm. um and the way that the list is written feels appropriate to the teen voice and stuff like that. But just the 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 way the book deals with like bidding goodbye to stuff, um, especially when you are a teenager and like so much change has happened. Forgo the the idea that you're a teenager, like this teenager who does not make it past this car crash, but like you're going through a lot of change in your life. This, the future is very uncertain and the person that you know yourself to be was very different even two years ago. So like trying to live in the present moment and appreciate it feels kind of odd and and can be scary because it's all going to go away in an instant and you're going to be a different person tomorrow. Okay. Um, and that I think is what what works about this book best if it does work for people. Um, this book was on a lot of lists of like what you should read if you if you read Thirteen Reasons Why and want another interesting YA book about like this type of teen story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people might dig it for that. I think the the characters are pretty. I found a lot of the characters pretty archetypical. I'll, in that's the most charitable reading of them. I think some reviews have found them to be pretty like one note or caricature-ish um, because it's like this type of teen, this type of teen, this type of teen. But I think that's pretty in line with the style of fiction and storytelling. So I don't want to ding it for that if that's what people are like looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, you know, in that kind of like John Hughesy way where it's like, <laughs> these are jock kids, these are nerd kids these are yada you know that breakfast club time loop edition i'd watch that movie what if every day we got up and we had to be in in the same breakfast club over and over again is emilio estevez there every day yes because it's the same day over and over again and count me in don't you forget about me takes a much more sinister <laughs> shape when you consider it in the context of a time loop. Like you can, you'll never forget because you'll always be here. When he punches at the end of that movie, it's him trying to break the loop. He's trying to yeah. punch through to the other side. <laughs> uh, what if every movie was a time loop, but you only were seeing the first loop every time? Whoa. Does that mean Space Jam is still happening now? Yeah. Wow, that game never ended, huh? I I okay, so something something to think about. Yeah, hit me. This week yep. as we as we do, we have one that we think about and then we come back and we talk about it. <laughs> um the the challenge so make any movie a time loop movie, but you have to pick the person who is in the loop. Yo. Like the character who is in the loop. I and love why. it. Yeah. Or like why that's interesting. It doesn't have to be why. It can be a Groundhog Day thing where why isn't important. But yeah. But like why that makes it a cool loop. Yeah. Like pick a pick a movie and then tell me which character is in the loop. Genius, Andrew. Yeah. Thanks. Folks can send their answers to Andrew's amazing genius question to overduepod at gmail.com or Tweet your cool loop movie ideas to twitter.com slash overdue pod. Facebook.com slash overdue pod is another place you can find us. Thanks to people who've been reaching out in the past week, including Tysphine, Neil, Russell, Natalie, Gina, Emily, Melissa, Nick, Tom, Hoop Baby, Shannon, Eve, Lee, Letitia, Melanie, Shannon, Aster, Marta, Brad, Patricia, and many more. We did post our schedule for the month of August, but I didn't put it on the website. 
maybe? No, it's on the website. Oh, well, look at that. Andrew, what's yeah. coming up next in the month of August on our website? On August 17th, I'm reading Eggs by Jerry Spinelli. August 24th, we're reading A Tree with Three E's Grows in Brooklyn by <laughs> Betty Smith. That's a typo you might want to fix. And then August 31st, we're reading Harvey by Mary Chase. And our bonus episode for the month will be The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, the Hunger Games prequel sequel by Suzanne Collins. And a lot of you have asked if this means that we're going to read Midnight Sun or Midnight Moon or whatever it's called. And like, probably just hold on. The only, the only one I am a hard no on is gray. I will not return to that universe, particularly not through the eyes of that character, but midnight sun, moon, super blood, wolf moon. I might be cool with doing it. My girlfriend's a werewolf. What would the, (laughs) I'm interested to know what the translation for midnight sun, the Japanese. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, That'd be good. Um, what else is on our website, Andrew? Anything else? Uh, we got links to Apple Podcasts, Google, RSS feed. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher, and a lot of other places where you can get podcasts. Subscribe, get new episodes. You know how it works. We have a new listener page that you can use if you are new to the show and you don't just want to listen to books that you have already heard of or read yourself. Um, and we have links to the books that we have read and are going to read on bookshop.org, which is a way to support us and also to support independent booksellers in your area. So that's what I got. Shout out to Nick Lorandis who did our theme song. Andrew, get us out of here. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. And until we talk to you next week, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.